What's up, folks? This is the Emulsion Podcast, episode 19. I'm your host, Justin Kana. Happy Monday to you, sir or madam. It is my job here on this show to give you a rundown of some chef and restaurant and fine dining news or stories that have basically mattered to me in the last week or so. If you leave your comments uh, while you're watching live or maybe just down wherever you're listening with hashtag the emulsion or just tag me, we can have a conversation about it, which is the best part about this show. Um... Speaking of you folks, I've got a super special interview announcement at the end of this show, as well as a giveaway, so definitely, definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, today's beverage is, it's a little bit basic, I'm going to be honest, but it's its pretty hot. It's hot AF here in Seattle, so I'm rocking a cold brew uh, of sorts with a blend of different coffee beans in a pretty basic white mug here. You can see it on the screen. Uh... This one's from Target, I think. There's really nothing special about it today. Definitely tasty, though. All right, let's get right into it. Uh, So the first story comes from a site that we actually referenced last week. Uh, It's called Restaurant Manifesto. Um, And I actually went on record last week saying that I wasn't a huge fan of those, uh, like, for industry, by industry uh, sites and blogs and stuff like that, but... There's been a lot of of decent writing, like uh, very uh, from both sides kind of writing, like very well-informed writing from this guy named Peter Camarero uh, on that site. So so the article is what I'm going to talk about, and it is called Why Restaurant People Are Always Broke. Uh, and you may or may not have seen it going around your, your, your feeds over this past week, but I, I wanted to talk about it because... There's a couple of points he makes and a couple of um, opinions that I want to state as well. So he starts off by asking that question, right? Um, Why us industry folks are always short on cash, right? We work a lot of hours. Some people make pretty lucrative tips. So it's, it's the fact that the income is there. But why are we always at, at some sort of a shortage? And I'm going to give you kind of a quick rundown of some of him, his reasons and then share my opinions. So we develop tastes for expensive things we can't afford. So the idea by, behind this reason is uh, we end up serving people nice cocktails or nice spirits or nice like caviar foie lobster uh, as well as really nice wines and then we develop um, sort of uh, an expensive sense of taste. So when we go out, we think, well, we've worked so hard and we know how to actually appreciate this stuff so we should more or less partake ourselves. Um, so that to me is an interesting point. Uh, I've definitely experienced that. Uh, but the next point that he makes is we spend everything we make on booze after work, kind of referencing the idea that we have, uh, like sort of a PTSD kind of thing. We, we, we live in this very high stress, uh, adrenaline fueled environment, and then we use alcohol as kind of an escape, um, a sense of enjoyment that, uh, kind of takes this, uh, pleasure after these kind of heavy toll uh, nights or or services. Um, Another reason he states is someone at work owes us money. Uh, We are giant tippers. We like to take care of our own in that that way. Um, Some of us haven't paid off culinary school. Uh, Also, lucrative restaurant jobs are located in areas with the highest cost of living. Uh, And then the last reason he states is we never save enough money to pay taxes. So 
right off the bat, some of these are very, very good and very valid reasons, like ones you can't control, uh, like the highest cost of living. Uh, I know I've experienced that in Seattle firsthand. Um, But some of these reasons, to me, are just symptoms of kind of the stereotyped restaurant per industry person. And before I get any kind of weird comments about that, I should maybe define that a little bit. And I don't want to say this as a judgment, but this article is kind of a generalization, so I feel a little bit justified to do it. But um, the sometimes like uneducated, like not highly, highly, uh, a lot of us didn't go to school for four to six years is where I'm, where I'm going with that. Uh, possibly drug addicted, likes going out and drinking kind of adrenaline junkie fueled cook, server, or bartender, right? That's where most of us fit into that kind of box. Um, and of course, not all of us are, are in that box, but that that's more or less a generalization. Uh, but those are things that attract people to this industry, right? Where you can live a life where you don't have to go to school forever, ever. You can still make money. Uh, and there's kind of like a, a exciting aspect to it, right? That rock star uh, style life. Um, but as someone who's worked at all of the levels of this industry, right? So I've worked at like ghetto ass food trucks and I've also worked at like different bistros and then all the way up to the highest end of like three Michelin star restaurants, things don't change. And I want to emphasize that. So you will find the same people that are just as deep into drugs and alcohol at the lowest level as they are at the highest level. Um, And what I'm focused on and something that I've also gone on the record saying is that there's a better way to live your life being in the restaurant industry. And I would like to hope that I am a uh, direct result of that and hopefully a little bit of a poster on it. Um, So my message to you, I guess, is please don't depend on substances to be happy. Like, spend time getting yourself straight first uh, experiment with things like meditation or daily gratitude practices and audit your inner circle of people. Like it doesn't have to be like woo woo meditation journaling stuff. If you're not into that, uh, literally spend time thinking about the people that you spend the most time with, uh, find other outlets to decompress after a service, right? Like all of these things are likely weighing in on your own personal happiness as well as your wallet. And I'm not offering professional financial advice here, but a few of you listening here that are just starting off in the industry, I know that there's some culinary school kids and some apprentices that listen to this podcast. How cool would it be to not worry about cash or addiction or like not rely on drugs and booze to make you happy once you're really like in it in the industry, like after you left school? And that all starts with, you know, how you treat yourself now and how you approach the industry now. And if you get anything from this podcast, I'd like to think that you get a sense of uh, you can do better. You can do better. Um, A lot of times, too, it becomes a vicious cycle, right? And I'm completely empathetic to that, right? So you're broke and you go out to eat to make yourself happy because that's what makes you happy. Uh, And then you you get a ton of nice things and then you basically end up digging yourself deeper into a financial hole. So then you're sad and you go out and have a drink with your friends to have fun. And that ends up digging yourself even deeper, right? So my advice is to experiment for maybe just like three months and get yourself above water financially and then see how that feels. It's a game changer, I promise. 
Uh, next up is a story out of Houston. Eater actually made a really great little short documentary uh, on a piece called Raja's Sweets, and they gave me all the feels for Indian sweets. And for those of you that are new to the show or maybe don't know, my dad is actually from India. I had an amazing opportunity to go there in March and meet family that I've never met and actually try a lot of the different stuff that they talk about in this documentary. But the reason that I want to talk about it here isn't just because I'm trying to be self-indulgent. Maybe I am a little bit. But there's a lot of really cool technique for any pastry chefs listening or even savory cooks uh, using different flours and using dairy in different ways. So if you're, you're, you're in the need for a little bit of unique inspiration, I've definitely found it super valuable when I'm writing my weekly menus to kind of turn to these uh, not-so-Western style dishes or techniques to come up with different ideas. Um, and overall, I just think it's a really, really great story that they tell about a solid spot. So, you know, I, I need to kind of work on that myself, need to find a place in Seattle that has dope Indian sweets. Uh, now I want to talk about a story that you may or may not have heard about recently, and that's the story from uh, France, where a fitness model named Rebecca Berger was killed from an exploding pressurized canister last week. You know, the, the ones that you'll sometimes make whipped cream in. Uh, and that's crazy, right? The, so what happened was the canister was pressurized itself, and she uh, set it down somewhere else, like on a counter or something, and the seal broke on it, and basically the, it, it hit her right in the chest, causing her to go into cardiac arrest, which is crazy. And of, of, of course, my thoughts are with her family and everyone connected, like her friends with it. it. It's so, so, so sad to hear. They were able to get her heart back to normal after they took her to the hospital, um, but she unfortunately passed away in the hospital after remaining unconscious after they got her heart back back and going. But the reason that I want to cover this show is a little bit of a PSA for you. I know my audience isn't huge on this in the, on this uh, show, but if you have one of these one of these uh, uh, from this brand, it's called Ard Time. I've left a, a link in the show notes. I want to make sure that no emulsion listener suffers this fate. Uh, but They've had recalls on these canisters for a while, and of course, making sure nothing like this happens, that they tried to get ahead of it, but unfortunately, you can't assure every single customer sees the recall. Um, this is just, of course, a, a worst-case scenario. Um, ISI, the company that maybe a lot of you American listeners have, uh, it, they're all good, so don't stress if you have one of those in your kitchen, but just if you have one from that brand, Ard's Time, Return it, please. I've left a link in the show notes. Uh, so if you or someone you know has this one, I, I care about you guys. No explosions, please. All right, so let's transition into a little story I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on, and that's got to do with uh, Burger King and Christina Tosi, the pastry chef of the very, very popular Milk Bar in NYC. So Burger King, if you don't know, has just announced a 740-calorie bomb, which is a soft-serve uh, marshmallow cereal-striped uh, whipped cream topped Lucky Charm sprinkled uh, shake that is very much so inspired by the cereal milk milkshakes that uh, Chef Tosi was coined in making back in 2008 at Milk Bar. Um, so a AMNY, uh, which is kind of a New York area news network, reached out to Tosi after the announcement of this whole thing, uh, and she was quoted in saying, inspiration is one thing, stealing is another. Be brilliant. Give yourself more credit than that. Come up with your own universe, end quote. 
And for me, this is one of those classic, like, give credit where credit is due stories, of course, but when you get into bigger companies like Burger King, it's very difficult for them to kind of, like, admit that they're ripping off someone like this. Um, But of course, I'm also a firm believer that you can't really claim intellectual property on a dish or a certain set of flavors, I guess. Um, Someone put bacon and eggs together on a plate, like, decades ago, but Heston Blumenthal kind of paired them together frozen, right, in that way. Um... I did a dish at a pop-up just last night where the chef did a dish called Oyster and Pearl, where it was a smoked oyster in a shell and then a tiny, tiny, tiny pearl onion that was literally pearl-sized in the shell. And everybody knows Thomas Keller's classic, uh, Oysters and Pearls, but and that's not even served in a shell, but hers was, but regardless, where I'd like to this is where I'd like to kind of pass the question on to you guys. Where do you draw the line with copying dishes or names of dishes or flavor combinations, right? In a world where a lot of people are saying nothing is new anymore and creativity is just remixing what's already exists, blah, 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 blah. What are your thoughts? Evolution, to me, is different than copying, and, you know, we're constantly moving the needle forward in that way, and if anything, where where does ego come into play in that, right? Like, we were talking just last week about how some people expect chefs to come up with these game-changing ideas and social issue solutions, but then... We, as chefs, get kind of all pissy when someone mass markets a dish that we make. I'm a little bit torn on this story, and I would really love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, Next up is a crazily researched story. I thought it was just going to be a headline and then a little blurb, and then I ended up reading the article, which is like... It's got to be at least 6,000 words, uh, but it's it's very, very well researched. There's a lot of numbers that, that went involved, and that is because it's more or less a lawsuit, uh, and it seriously needs to get passed off to Stars or HBO and turned into a, like a 12-episode series. Uh, but the story is from Chicago, where the owners of a restaurant called Embea literally made off with hundreds of thousands of dollars and left the chef of the restaurant with $1.5 million in outstanding financial debt, like money he owed to purveyors and landlords and all this stuff. So just so we get the characters right here, uh, Attila Gulai and Komal Patel have abruptly vanished off the face of the earth. No one knows where they are. And Tai Dang is the chef is left to deal with the ramifications. So I will refer to them as Gulai and Patel. Those are the people who kind of are the, the, the villains in the story. And Tai Dang is the chef. So I'm quoting the article now. So quote, months before they disappeared, Gulai and Patel... Uh, apparently began to plot their exit. They systematically looted Embea, liquidating $101,495.82 from its certificate of deposit and making eight withdrawals from its checking account over a one-month period that totaled $127,000. They were directly deposited into their personal accounts, and according to bank records obtained by Cranes on June on June 7, 2016, they wired a total of $100,000 to two banks in Canada. 28 days later, they required $5,100 to a bank in Budapest, Hungary. So they've been wiring money all over the world for the past, like, year, a little over a year now. Uh, and if you like scandal stories, they've left. The, I've left the whole story down in the show notes so you can read it. But to me, this is so crazy. And Bea was this place that was opening maybe, like, three blocks away from Grace when I was there in Chicago um, because I was on the opening team of that restaurant and I had a fantastic meal there at Embea. The service was great. They got great reviews, but I don't think anyone saw this coming. No, nobody. But there's so much more to this story, right? And scandals, what, 
scandals that would happen even before the restaurant was open or while the restaurant was open. Uh, so they would have like the, I'm quoting the article again. Quote, if we had a 15-person private dining party that spent three or four hours at the restaurant and went through 10 bottles of wine, Attila would manipulate the bill and they'd pay for 16 bottles, end quote. They were, they were cited as, like, when the restaurant was open, paying people in paper bags full of cash. Uh, there's a story about Tai Dang went to the city to apply for a liquor license for his Vietnamese restaurant in Pilsen that he's opening called Hai Su. And him and his business partner, Danielle, that were planning to open it, they went to go get this liquor license, and they got blocked by a $19,000 bill uh, <laughs> worth of parking tickets, uh, as well as, like, delinquent business license fees and state taxes that Gulai racked up, basically, by attaching that the SUV to the Embea business and then kind of just not paying all of these fees. So $19,000 that's, like, now in this chef's lap, this poor chef's lap, because his business partner kind of just screwed him over. Uh, so that brings me more or less to the takeaway, which I'm not entirely sure I have on this story because of course, be careful where you do business with, but I don't think anyone could have even written this. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's destined for the big screen in some, some way, shape or form. But you know, a good looking Hungarian and a beautiful woman from Zambia are guaranteed to screw you over. Maybe that's a takeaway. Just getting everything in writing is also maybe a good takeaway. It's not. It, that that's not a good takeaway. Not, not even not even from this crazy of a story. I can't even handle it. It's just too much. Uh, restaurant drama. Uh, so next up, I want to do a little quick shout out to two Seattle folks crushing it right now. Friends of mine, um, me Kim. If you've been keeping up with me on Instagram, you know I've been doing some photo and video stuff for her donut pop up, raised donuts. They had uh, one on Saturday this past Saturday here in Seattle. If you're a pastry chef and want some really really solid inspiration on either flavor combinations or even just some donut porn, I really really def- definitely recommend you check uh, her out on Instagram. Uh, I've left a link for you in the show notes. Also, uh, my friend, and I guess you could say colleague, we work together sometimes, Eric Rivera has broken out on YouTube. Uh, He has a couple other videos that have been posted almost about a year ago, uh, but he shot his first little like channel intro slash vlog yesterday and he posted it. So I've left links to that in the show notes. You should definitely subscribe to him on YouTube and also uh, sign up for his blog slash email list. He posts a lot about the creative process of doing dinners, um, hosting your own pop-ups, uh, different techniques, all of it. He's, he's really, really solid. Um, and I'm all about supporting other chef YouTubers. Little cold blue, cold brew sip. Uh, all right, that's enough shout outs. Next up is a great video from uh, Mind of a Chef, actually, which I think is a really underrated uh, YouTube channel. I'm not entirely sure why I don't cover them more on this show. Um, but they published a video where Luda Lefebvre uh, from LA, he has restaurants in LA, he's from France, but he's actually in France making butter. Uh, and if you know me, you know how much I heart butter, regardless of how good or bad it is for my actual heart. Uh, but I really enjoyed this process, kind of watching them uh, make the butter from 100% nothing into a finished product. Uh, it's one of those real artisanal, like, really, really putting the the, the real stamp uh, of artisanal on these guys. Uh, they kind of watching them fold the butter. They've got this really amazing machine that's like a record player that needs the butter. It's like a giant record player, and it also needs the butter at the same time. Uh, They talk about using wood a lot with the butter because uh, 
it makes sure that the butter doesn't stick to it. Uh, they flip the butter by hand and you get to kind of see the butter weep uh, or cry, I guess, as they say in the video, when they add salt to it because it's starting to like draw moisture out of the butter. Uh, and then, of course, they use these really cool hand tools to kind of shape it all by hand. And every single restaurant that they deliver to has an individual uh, seal that they kind of stamp into the butter. Uh, to me, it's just really, really awesome. Uh, and that's the second little video documentary, actually, that you're getting on this show. This is a very theme-centric uh, episode today. We got food documentaries and pastry chef news. That's what I'm going to call call this episode. We're, we're definitely all over the place here on The Emulsion uh, so last up is our non-industry story. I have to talk a little bit about travel news because this air travel startup called Boom unveiled a prototype of their affordable, finally affordable, uh, supersonic aircraft at the International Paris Air Show. And this plane can go up to speeds of Mach 2.2, which for those of us that aren't in the aeronautical industry means that aviation industry, I guess you should say, uh, it literally means you can go from New York to London in two and a half hours. What? It's already able to hold 55 passengers, passengers too, which isn't doesn't mean that it's kind of like this tiny little private jet plane uh, that, you know, you can kind of rent for hundreds of thousands of dollars and zip over there. This is like, uh, you know, made for uh, our us economy class flyers. Uh, and judging from how things scale these days, I don't think we're actually that far off uh, from us, you know, cheapos to be able to fly that. Um, time is definitely the asset when you're traveling, and being able to kind of spend less time in the air and more time on the ground is something that I support 100%. How, what I'd be interested to see in is how this affects jet lag, right? So you could literally travel over several time zones in just a few hours. So I'd be interested to see how I would feel kind of getting off a plane like that, where you kind of leave when it's dark and get there when it's still dark or leave when the sun is rising and, you know, all that stuff. I'd be interested to see how that would affect me uh, jet lag wise. So with that, this has been episode 19 of The Emulsion. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you very, very much. Um, I did promise an announcement, an interview announcement, as well as a giveaway. So I'm going to give you kind of the DL on that before you head off. So next week, that gentleman that I mentioned earlier, Eric Rivera, formerly of um, Tallulah's here in Washington and Alinea in Chicago, is going to be on the show. He's a friend of mine. He's a great chef. We're going to talk all sorts of shop here on the show. Uh, so food and restaurants and fine dining, all of it. Uh, we have a lot of uh, very similar opinions, and we like to debate on stuff. So if you're interested in getting questions in for Eric, uh, things you'd like to know from more or less a veteran of the industry, go ahead and shoot them my way uh, on any platform. Make sure you uh, hashtag the emulsion and tag me so I know where to find you. Um, but I'm super, super pumped for that interview. Uh, I will announce the times for the live stream uh, on my Facebook page as well as on Twitter. Both are uh, more or less in the show notes for you if you don't follow me there already. Uh, I also may or may not try to play around with YouTube live streaming on that one. Um, so go ahead and just make sure you follow along so I can keep you posted of uh, where you can see that. Also, go ahead and share this podcast in whatever form you prefer to listen to it with your own social networks in some sort of way, whether that's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and tag me on it, and I'll randomly pick one person to get a copy of the Milk Bar book. Where do I have that? Okay. It's right here. I have it. It's in my possession. 
Um, so Christina Tosi, the girl that we talked about uh, today about that uh, Burger King milkshake scandal, uh, I want to give away a copy of this book, uh, my my copy. Um, it's used. It's definitely not brand new, um, but I keep really, really good care uh, of my books. Hopefully you can see it in the video here. Um, got a lot of love from me. Um but I'm in the process of more or less cleaning off my bookshelf, and I want to make sure that you folks kind of benefit first before I kind of sell them on eBay. So it's just that easy. Go ahead and share this episode in whatever form you choose, uh, just so we can kind of spread the word about this show, uh, whether it's the video or the link to it in iTunes, and tag me so I can find you, and I will pick a winner sometime this week, and I will ship you out this book, and you can kind of learn all about the history of the restaurant and uh, all of those awesome, awesome recipes for like things like crack pie and uh, cereal milk and all that stuff. So thanks again for listening. Uh, This has been the Emulsion Podcast. My name's Justin Kana. Have a good one.